Outrocast. Chad, aside from doing press where they ask you the same questions over and over and over again, good day for you so mm. far? <laughs> Indeed it is, bro. Every every question is a new question to me, okay? <laughs> that is a very poetic way of saying things. And I've been a fan of yours for, I don't know, 15 years now. The first time I noticed you was The Wire. And of course, The mm. Walking Dead. We see you Invincible, Girls 5 ever. The credits just keep going and going and going. When did you yeah. start to feel like, hey, I'm okay now as an actor. I'm not going to go back to art directing on sets. <laughs> I haven't got there yet. We're still striving for that experience. If 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 we can snag a a, a fourth of the um, of, of Transformers audience on June 9th, then maybe I can start to think like that. Uh, no, man, I, I'm just very fortunate. Uh, it's a gift. I, I continue to work hard. I continue to dream and strive. I continue to love it as I did as a young boy. So that's all that matters. I, I'm taking care of my family and, uh, and I'm trying to impact some people's lives in a positive way. Just like Cuddy. Just like a yes. real life Cuddy in the best possible way. But the character that you play in the angry black girl and her monster, Donald, how much yes. of Donald is there in you, the human being? Oh, I'm a father, you know, so uh, it, I can just play an imagination game of losing any of my children. And that's going to uh, something's going to arise in me that people can relate to. So um, that, you know. The story, being able to take this horror deal and and deal with what's going on in marginalized places for people mm -hmm. of color, I, I think is a feat in itself that Bomani was able to do in a different way than Jordan Peele. Uh, I, I just really am so impressed with him not letting the audience off the hook about the greater social political implications, but also giving you full classic horror and uh, giving you amazing performances. And, and it feels like, it reminds me of like Hamilton. You know how, you know, Manuel was able to take that and, and you know, uh, recalibrate it, but stay true to it. You know, I think that that's what Bomani has done. And it's brave to do that because it's already etched in so many people's hearts and minds in a particular way. Um, and he did it without beating you over the head, which I love. So it's a very powerful, important movie that honors the genre. That's a similar answer to what your co-star Denzel told me earlier today. And he mentioned working with you before this particular film. Now for Bomani, was this uh, somebody that you knew beforehand or is this a traditional audition to be cast in this film? Uh, yeah, no audition, but, you know, uh, traditionally an offer came through uh, based on past work, you know, and Denzel, of course, uh, I've done two of his project, personal projects. This is how much I believe in this young man. And I met his family. This is a stand up guy who's going to continue to do great work in this business. And uh, so I'm a huge fan. I didn't know Bomani, but through reading that Denzel was involved, I called him because I, I, his artistic integrity, you know, I know I can go off of that. Hmm. I spoke to him 
I'm like, man, if you're all in, I'm all in. And, uh, you know, just I love taking the classic and and bringing it to another audience hmm. or, 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 you know, or maybe, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes possibly an audience that may not be catered to in the, in the, the horror genre. And so wow. it's great. Then it also reminded me of Candyman, you know, in a way, not the same, but in that gritty, you know, that was Cabrini Green Projects, you know? Yeah. These are the projects in Charlotte, North Carolina that on there felt like the wire, you know? So but imagine to be that gritty, yeah. but still hold the horror genre right there. It was, it's just, it's a great, I think it's an important movie. It's a great movie. All oh, the gore, the sewing up of the, you know, you know that part I'm talking about. I was going, Ugh. Yeah, my, my wife is the horror person in this household. She has all the Freddy and the horror stuff over there. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Comedy guy. But a lot of the roles, it's interesting to see in your career that you could do comedy and horror and thriller and drama. Yeah. So you're kind of, you get the job done acting wise. But when you started off, was there a particular genre you wanted to focus on? Drama. It was drama initially, you know, um, because. I don't know, you know, I, I, I was able to put so much of my personal angst and trauma into drama. It, it was, it was soothing, you know, I just, you know, and I, I don't know, I think, you know, coming from the background I came from, you know, I think it was extremely important for serious issues to be addressed. And, but there's also a funny, silly clown. Yes. I was yeah. a class clown too. So there's a silly guy in there that recognizes that humor is one of the most amazing coping tools out there. That if you can laugh and you can make others laugh, you can sometimes find a little respite and peace. So uh, that part as well. So I'm a hybrid, but I'm also, as a trained actor, it's you see the two masks, right? Yes. It's the comedy and drama. So. We were we weren't let off the hook. I mean, I did the odd couple in high school. <laughs> you know, I played really? Felix Felix Unger. Yeah. So uh so we and that's Neil Simon, you know, that's a brilliant uh, you know, God rest his soul. But um, so we were challenged and it was demanded that we be able to do both. Well, two quick questions and then I let you go. And the first one is do any photos exist of you and the regular Chad Coleman? <laughs> and I asked that because that person impacted everyone for the rest of your life going, oh, Chad L. Coleman. Kind of like how John C. Oh, Reilly. Right. If you know John C. Riley, just yeah, of course, and I love John C. Riley, and I've seen his work uh, on Broadway. Um, and I met him in New York, and you know, I've spent many, many years in New York. Uh, but I was Chad L. Coleman in high school, so. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So by yeah, choice was, for the L. Yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 was because that was an homage to my father. Uh, I mean, it's Luther. So, you know, strangely enough, we didn't have the greatest relationship, but I had much love and respect for the man. So, yeah, even in high school, it was Chad L. Coleman. Now I know. And the last question, obviously, the angry black girl and her monster is a new movie to us, to you it's an old movie in a way. Are you, I'd say, what's next where we can see you next? 
Uh, that would be it. Right now, it's Superman and Lois, you know, on CW playing Bruno Mannheim, you know, a classic car- a villain that, you know, an actor of color. This, I think it's the first time an actor of color has taken it on uh, through the amazing showrunners. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with that. It's about, I think it's about four episodes left with that on CW Tuesday nights at eight. And uh, I'm also doing the, the LeBron James Shooting Stars uh, movie. I'm in that uh, really? with Kate, yeah, with Caleb McLaughlin and uh, Wood Harris. Uh, and that's all about LeBron's high school basketball team and the coming of age story of how they became the winningest basketball team and, you know, champions. So uh, I was able to do that as well. So I'm looking forward to that coming out as well. Wow. Akron's finest. Well, Chad, yes. thank you for the many years of great art. <laughs> Really looking forward to whatever's next, whether it's funny, scary, whatever it is. Keep up all the greatness out there. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you for your positive energy, and I love the T-shirt. Sir, Mr. Sterling, funk master extraordinaire, how are you doing this morning aside from having to do press and talk to somebody like me? I'm doing great, man. There's a lot of breaking news out there and uh, a lot of chaos. It seems like my life is always involved in some type of chaos with um, my bosses for whatever reason, you know, I'm just doing what a, a good company man w- would do for anybody. And, um, other than that, man, things are looking good. Um, hopefully getting ready to gear up for Boston. Right. Well, we're going to focus on the positives here, such as Long Islander, like myself, why do you still live on Long Island as somebody who's been around the world and been on television, et cetera? Well, I split my time now. I bought a house in Las Vegas just because of the UFC PI. Uh, the Performance Institute is really good to me um, and just for the fighters as a, in general. And on top of that, it doesn't hurt to save some extra money with no state income tax. So right. um, but I got my residence here. So when I come back, I'm finishing up training camp. I could always come back to my house here. Um, I rent it out. So it's a way to also make money and keep me afloat. So I'm not paying for two mortgages. You know, so we try, to, we try to be smart, but yeah, definitely took full advantage of Vegas and having the opportunity to go back and forth to New York and having the best of both worlds. There's a rumor that you have a realtor's license. Is that true? Oh, yeah. I'm still licensed, still licensed. And um, I'm hoping I could put that to some extra work for the rest of this year. I haven't done anything with it this year, maybe like the last three years. I think I might have sold two houses. So We'll see. I, I need to dust that thing off and uh, get back to work. Are there any other active UFC fighters that you're aware of that hold a realtor's license? Um, I think Chaos Williams. <laughs> I think he's he's a realtor in, um, what do you call it, uh, Detroit. I think Eric Anders, he's a realtor in Alabama. And, of course, the raging one, Ally Quinta, still active. He's, like, you know, teetering the line of um, – retirement or maybe just taking a little bit of a break and then maybe come back later. Um, but he's also an active uh, realtor in New York. My mind is blown. I, I thought you were going to say, no, I'm the only one. I sell them all their houses. Next question. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I back to you here. We were connected by the wonderful folks at Nerd Focus. When did that partnership start? Um, I'm going to say maybe the week before my last fight we were ironing out some small details and uh, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a proud partner, man. It's nice to see people doing like good things, being a pioneer and trying to change the game, so to speak, you know, with the nootropic energy drink, um, 
brain health as an athlete, you know, that's very important for us with just combat, taking shots to the head and those type of things. So mm-hmm. when I look at it, it's like if I could give myself some type of recovery advantage in the shape of getting some caffeine, putting better ingredients in my body, it's like, why not? Um, you know, I've tried a lot of the other stuff out there and I'm not trying to put a knock on any anyone's company, but I think this is going to be a game changer and really help people to see a different path of um, where I, I think we're going to be the forefront of this right now. And I think you're going to see a lot more of the nootropic energy drinks coming out um, as nerd starts to get bigger. And I think it's going to be big for the entire game. Just there's enough pie for everybody, you know? So uh, I think we're going to really start to see more people move towards that direction, putting in right. those type of ingredients into their, their product as well. And I think it's going to be a, a good game changer. You have a favorite flavor of nerd focus. I because I've tried, I think I've tried three of them. There was, there's the green one, there's the blue one, uh, but I don't know if there's like 20 and I just have to get experience with more personally. Uh, my, you know, I, I'm stuck between the green and the blue, <laughs> mainly because it's like, if I want the carbs and the extra calories, or do I want like no calories? And it's kind of like, I go back and forth sometimes. Sometimes you need it. Um, there's another like supplement called, uh, Vitargo. We take that a lot. If if you're like fasted or you just need a quick boost of energy or mm-hmm. carbohydrates for your workout, we'll take a scoop of Vitargo or two scoops of Vitargo. And that has all the carbs that you need to get through like a hard intensive workout. So now with the nerd, with the green, um, can that one has the carbs in it and speaking to the nutritionist after showing them the, the bottle, uh, showing them the can and having them look at everything that's in it. They were like, man, this is as good as taking a Vitargo shake. So by all means, have it, you know? So this is during fight week while I'm cutting weight and those type of things. So yeah, it it if I have to pick one, it depends on what I'm trying to do. If I'm trying to have like a really hard workout or something, you know, I'll go with the green, get a little bit of caffeine in me as well. If not, then I could just be a little bit more chill and just go with the blue can. Got it. Well, you mentioned at the top of this conversation, a lot of changes, a lot of news right now. Are you still in camp? Uh, am I still in camp? No, no, no. I'm not still in camp. Uh, that fight's over. That camp is over. This is more of a deload, get my body back to 100% as close as I can, and then try to get ready and prepare with at least 11 weeks. And with the 11 weeks, it's not like going to be fully intensive. It's going to be more like from week 11 to 8 kind of prepping the body, lifting, trying to get everything strong and healthy again because you break the body down as you go through these tough training camps. And then you go through the fight and going through a fight with a stud like Henry, um, you know, that that's not that's never easy on the body, especially when I was coming into the fight. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but I had a partially torn bicep tendon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was my third training camp going through a fight, fight camps where I'm just injured. And... Um, we did the stem cells and everything out in bioaccelerator in Colombia over in Medellin mm-hmm. that helped out a bit. And I think that helped me get to the fight. So now we just take a little bit more of a downtime, try to lift, try to recover as best as we can, heal up those little injuries. So I can go out there and drag uh, the UFC's favorite post, the new favorite poster boy all up and down the canvas. When I say still in camp, you know, the ignorant outsider over here, most of what I know from UFC is I think I bought UFC three, when when I bought PlayStation 4. And you have the option of telling your fighter how many weeks they're doing camp. So I think I put him my fighter in for 12 weeks. 
so I thought that was just an option or a normal thing. And then other UFC fighters I speak with, they're like, no, four weeks. I'm not doing more than four weeks in camp. Four weeks? Wow. That's impressive. That's that's very confident of, of that they're going to win and they're in great shape. I, I mean, I like to think that they're probably training before that because four weeks is not a lot of time. Uh, for me, ideally, especially now with a 25-minute fight, preparing for that, I think ideally, if I had to come off the couch, I could do it in eight weeks. But that's like pushing the envelope. For a three-round fight, I feel like I could do that in five or six weeks. I think that's doable. Because I'm, I'm training year-round. You know, I'm not like right. just pissing off and just hanging out on the beach the entire time. And then it's like, oh, it's time to get ready for a fight. And then you got to get your body back in shape. And then you got a game plan. Like, I, I, I'm training year-round. I kind of know what the next step is going to be, always ahead of the game and knowing what the next move is. And trying to just be proactive. Are you still training at all in Belmore? Um, well, I was never really training there. I went down a couple of times to spar with either Dennis Bermudez, Andre Harrison, um, or I go down to watch Volante whenever he was working out with Weidman, those type of things. But it was never, that wasn't really like my team, but we were very friendly with Keith Trimble and the guys over there. And yeah, that's pretty much how the relationship was. So I went to high school in Belmore and when you find out that these badass people are training in Belmore, you go, what? My town, no one was tough in my town. Uh, how are these UFC champions and legends training in your town, which was never cool, which never, you know, anything like that. So I thought I was going to get a, oh, I love Belmore, but thank, it's totally normal that you don't. <laughs> Belmore is cool. It's just uh, different when it comes to training. Exactly. So you obviously have a great head on your shoulders based on what I've heard from your training technique, real estate, the partnerships that you're pursuing. Are you somebody that kind of has an exit plan where, and I'm not asking for what it is or when it is, but one of those people that goes, oh, at this age and this income level, I'm gone from MMA. And then that's going to parlay into being the CEO of blank. Are you one of those people or are you just one fight at a time at this point? I'm a little bit of both. You know, I originally thought I was going to retire at 32. I'm 33 now. Um, so I kind of moved the goalposts a couple of times. Uh, now I'm saying 35. Um, we'll see. I'm trying to bang out as many fights as I can, which is another reason why I'm opting to be active. And although I had a whole schedule planned out for after this fight to kind of let my body recover and to get mm -hmm. stuff done outside, which we're talking about in terms of setting myself up for the future, I had a whole thing like planned out and I kind of had to just rip it up and say okay I guess we're not doing that anymore um but yeah I I definitely look towards the future I think it's very short-sighted to think that fighting lasts forever and you know, I've had a really life-altering injury with my neck um it got progressively worse and to the point where I thought I would never ever compete again and I had to get an arthroscopic um artificial disc replacement and I'm back but I still keep that in the back of my mind that it can easily just be taken away from me. And if it is taken away from me, what am I going to do afterwards? So the last thing I want to do is wait till the music stops and then look around, and try to figure out what's next. So I'm trying to take it, take the proper proactive steps and doing the right thing, saving my money. I know people would talk about that. I know people hate when we talk about money, but we are the lowest, like when we're talking about um, other athletes, and other professional sports, yeah, I know they've been around longer, whatever, whatever. But in the sense of like that comparison, um, we're not there yet. I think we will get there one day. 
So we have to be very, very strategical with how we use our money, make sure we're paying taxes, don't get caught up and fall behind with certain things. Right. And, uh, you see it time and time again with athletes, and I don't want to be one of those guys with one of those horror stories. So um, I'm, I try to be very frugal where I can and try to invest where I can and just making sure I'm, I'm doing the right thing so I could be when I'm done. I'm not sour and upset that I, I gave my all and gave my body to the sport and got nothing out of it. I want to make sure when I'm done fighting, um, everything else is just an option. And I have, I think I have some good ones laid out for me right as of right now. Before I ask my last question, it sounds like Nerd Focus is not the only partnership being explored. It sounds like there's a lot of great things on the table, which is really great to hear. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and it makes, I, I'm proud of that, you know, because I'm a kid that come from a very tough upbringing with a lot of family drama, a lot of family baggage. And I know everyone's got their issues, but um, I, I'm I'm very fortunate for being here and getting this far. So I'm very proud of all my accomplishments. No matter what people say, it's like, I feel like I've won in life already. Everything else is just icing on the cake. And um, I'm just trying to see how far I can take it. Totally. You're not one of those people who peaked in high school, to say the least. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so, Thank God. <laughs> so my last question for you, and it could be a, a two-second answer, or it could actually be 15 minutes. It's wherever you want to go. When you're not busy with fighting, where does your time go? What do you like to do? Who are you? Um, I mean, I used to work a full-time job. I, I worked, when I first started fighting, I was working all the way up until my fight with Takinio Mendez in 2017. I got into the UFC in 2014. I went, I was a pro athlete since 2011. And I've been working literally since then, working odd jobs, working as a substitute teacher, working as a wrestling coach for the kids. I love coaching. Um, when I'm not fighting, I coach as much as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm now getting closer with my family, which is something I've grown to appreciate a lot more over the years. And when I do see other families like that, it is something that I always wish that I had uh, with my siblings and whatnot, and even my parents. And other than that, man, I, you know, I play like little hobbies and things like that. I got some stuff that I do. I play basketball. I play, I'm an active, avid chess lover, even though I'm not that good. I love playing. Um, and, you know, I podcast. I act a little bit on the side. So, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, but a master of fighting. So I'll say that. But I, I try to I try to dabble in a bunch of different things because you, you never know what you're going to take a liking to. And that's more so what Aljamain Sterling is about. So hopefully the next venture I could do is my rum company. And uh, I've been working on that. And actually right before this, I was on a, a conference call trying to figure out some logistics for that. So that's what I'm doing with my time outside of fighting. You know, I'm training, I'm working on se separate little projects here and there and um, just enjoying life as, as much as I can. I'm looking forward to all that, the rum included. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the very, very entertaining fights. And just thank you for being you. Very inspiring gentleman, to say the least. Thank you. I appreciate it. If I can do a reverse stereotype right here, here usually when british royalty and i'm calling you too royalty of course because of your stardom and all that when they move to los angeles it's usually to be under the radar in other words they want to be less famous hence we see robbie williams and morrissey and all that what led you to want to move to los angeles for both of you 
it wasn't to be less famous. I can assure you that. I think from my point of view, personally, I wanted a fresh start and a new challenge. And I've always had like an obsession with America. I just always wanted to move here. So, um, and a challenge it has definitely been so far, hasn't it, Charles? Yeah, I think for me, it was always about, you know, if we were going to shoot our own show, it was about going to the place where you see the billboards and the bright lights and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, Hollywood, L.A., that was kind of always the home for me for this show. And you are wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey, Charlie. Lifelong NFL fan? Don't ask me any questions about NFL or the Cowboys. <laughs> I, do you know what? I wear it out in public sometimes and people are like, hey, how's it going, man? How the Cowboys get on? And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea how they played, but it looks cool. And, and someone actually bought me this as a gift. So um, yeah, I'm rocking the Cowboys today. Charlie's actually got all of the merch. He's got UCLA. He's got a few different jerseys. And he wears all the caps. One minute he's from New York, one minute he's from LA. People don't know where Charlie's from. He just bowls around and everyone just presumes he's American. It's really funny. Didn't you wear a NASA thing the other day and someone asked yeah. if you worked for NASA two in people, Target? Two people stopped me in Target and was like, do you work for NASA? And I was like, no, sorry, I don't, I don't work for NASA. It's a really boring story. Well, obviously, you need to say yes and. No. You need to do the LA-style improv and take them on a journey the next time that happens. Yeah, I know. I should just make something up that's really cool. Yeah, it's the accent. It throws people. Yeah, I mean, there was NFL Europe. There was an attempt at making that happen about 15 years ago and it failed miserably. But you could say you're the commissioner of NFL Europe and you're here on holiday. Well, we have been to an NFL game in London. They came to Wembley for a bit. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's like a preseason thing or what. You've yeah, been it's as in well. Stratford, weren't it? Yeah, they've been to London a few times. So we've we've been before, but we don't know. We don't know what the rules are. We don't know what's going on. I don't even know British football rules. Is it the same as football or basketball? What is it? Pretty oh, darn different. Well, boxing family. We know about boxing and that's it. I get it. Well, what was the first U.S. city or which correct grammar, which U.S. city was first visited by you, Chloe? Chicago when I was five. Was that a stopover or family vacation? It was a vacation and it was my first taste of America. It was my first long haul flight. And obviously I'm 41 now. So when I was five, it's hard to remember, but I do have quite clear memories of it back then. Um, and then my next time as an adult would have been Los Angeles about 11 years ago. Wow. Same answers for you, Charlie. Yeah, I think uh, Orlando, Disneyland was probably the first first trip that I had when I was a kid. But as an adult, I think it was LA. You were in that's... Chicago with the girls, didn't you? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. It was LA was my first trip. Oh, okay. But maybe that's why we've got huge ties here, you know, because it was our first our first adult trip. Maybe it was my memories. First, it was my first time on a plane I and my know. first holiday in life that I went to America. So it must have got in me. You must have. Must have got in my soul then. In your soul. <laughs> I got it. Well, we were connected. Years of watching American TV, yeah. like before, even before reality, like Sex and the City, Friends. I think that's when it grew, like that. I just was so, I just had a big thing for America, a big love for it. The, the New York shows that were really filmed in Los Angeles, in other words. Was Sex and the City filmed in Los Angeles? 
Parts of it were maybe you got a point. Their friends was clearly filmed in Los Angeles with. Was it? Oh, oh, no. oh I, I'm sorry to break that bad news on you. Yeah, Friends was entirely filmed in Los Angeles. Most television shows, including House of Sims, are filmed in Los Angeles or Atlanta, it seems. Right. I definitely didn't know that. Well, our show's definitely filmed in Los Angeles. I can guarantee you that. Hi, I'm David Coverdale from Whitesnake. You're listening to the Gwyneth Paltrow cast featuring Darren, the sexy beast from wherever the hell he is. Outro.